Romans chapter 13. I love all that we cram into our services. Sometimes it takes a little longer than we might have planned, but that's okay. I'll try to keep that in mind as we look at the second verse in this chapter. You know, I'm wanting to force you to think, and I'm wanting to force me to think, that we'll submit all of our thoughts to the Word of God, and some of the things may catch you by surprise, but I hope that you'll think of them in the light of Scripture and esteem all of His precepts concerning all things to be right and to hate every false way. If you would have lived in Germany in the mid-1930s, you had a duly elected president of your country, and you would have saluted him the way he wanted to be saluted. And if you didn't want to do that, he'd have just gassed you very quickly, and he should have gassed you very quickly if you didn't salute him for the salute that he expected, because that's giving honor to whom honor is due, that's giving fear to whom fear is due. It's just because you've read too much American propaganda to appreciate the fact that that is the leader of that country that those people wanted to have. He was a duly elected official, and he deserves every bit of respect that our present president gets or your favorite president gets. It doesn't matter whether Ronald Reagan was your favorite president or the President Obama is your favorite president or the president of Germany in the 1930s. I appreciated at break time hearing some men who know that certain things continued to occur very well in Germany, even during the war, that the trains continued to run on time, and that it's a known fact that though the country was being obliterated by Allied bombing, the trains continued to run on time. Do you know what that is? That's why we have civil government. Because it forces people to go to work and do their jobs. So if you're planning on making a trip inside of Germany by train, you are still able to do it and plan a schedule around it. See, you don't have the right to say that because you don't like the leader that Germany had prior to and during World War II that you're not going to give him honor. You don't have that right. You don't count. Your opinion doesn't count. It's irrelevant. Just like the parents God gave you and just like the parents God gave everyone else, God gave that nation that ruler and the people under that rule were supposed to give him honor and obedience, submit to him, be in subjection to him because he, were, he was the power's that were, or if we were reading that in 1940, the powers that be. Right. He was the power in that particular country. Amen. He had particular ambitions. We don't know all the secret will of God about those ambitions, but we can figure out some of them. Mm-hmm. We can figure out some, and I've taught you this for many years, that no more evil, annihilistic, atheistic philosophy came out of any nation on earth than the nation of Germany. And so God pounded them with two world wars that you can witness in the early 20th century for what they did in the 19th century with some of the philosophers that came out of that country and who were promoted worldwide for their wicked, evil reasonings about morality, God, truth, sex, relationships, family, etc. But we don't know all the secret will of God. The secret will of God involves 7 billion people. They all have an independent mind and ambitions. They're in different nations. There's different time frames. Some of, some of it takes much time in order to get to particular people doing a certain thing at a certain time. God's in charge of it all. We submit ourselves and humble ourselves before him. Right. It is amazing how conditioned we are to think that, well, I like this president, and so I would happily salute Ronald Reagan. But we don't have a choice. God sets up different men. I mean, Ronald Reagan was a sportscaster and an actor. Do you think about that? But God made him a very friendly president of this country. And I loved his manliness when it came to certain decisions that he made. I told you this one so many times. 
I can still remember where I was in Michigan National Bank of Detroit when the announcement came over that he had just fired all the air traffic controllers. I loved his courage to do that. But God raises up all these different kinds of men. I hope that you'll remember some of the things that I'm showing you. There's a whole lot more in the outline that will be posted. I hope you'll remember that the Lord Jesus Christ told the people of God in the church of God that they should obey the Pharisees. You say, I thought he called them vipers and serpents. He did. When he was addressing them, he called them for what they were. But they weren't supposed to call them that. He called them that. The Lord can rebuke the devil. But not even Michael the archangel rebukes the devil. You don't understand authority if you think you should rebuke the devil. The Lord Jesus Christ rebukes the devil. Michael the archangel says, the Lord rebuke thee. He understands the authority that the devil has. The Pharisees had authority because they sat in Moses' seat. They had civil and religious authority descending all the way from Moses. It didn't matter that they were hypocrites. Jesus says in the very context that they were hypocrites, but they were still to be obeyed. You just weren't to copy their hypocritical lifestyle. But what they said to do, do it. If they wanted the temple repainted and you you needed to contribute in a little box up front that said food on it, then you should do it. Because the Pharisees had said so. These things are throughout the pages of Scripture, and there aren't any verses to the contrary. There's not a verse in the Bible that tells you to stand up against civil government and try to change it or overthrow it. Sometimes we have to run and hide from it, and sometimes we'll avoid it in whatever ways the Lord gives us. And let's look at a few of those right now if the Lord will give us some efficient use of the minutes that we have. Romans chapter 13 and verse 2. After having stated in verse 1 that every soul should be be subject to the higher powers, after stating that there is no power but of God, and you can tell what powers God has ordained by whatever is in authority at a particular point in time in a nation, the Apostle Paul said, Whosoever therefore resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. That's a severe, hard verse. The therefore is there because of verse 1. The order from heaven is, let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. The explanation from heaven is, for there is no power but of God. Civil government is God's arrangement of power. The offices in it are His. The men in it are His. The preparation of the men are His. And the movements, ambitions, or goals of the men at any point in time are His. He's behind it all. And the powers that be are ordained of God so that at any point in time you can say, well, I know what we've got in Washington, and that is the powers that be. I know what we have in Columbia. That's the powers that be. In Greenville, the powers that be. And you can quickly realize God set them up. They're God's ordinance. And therefore, whosoever resisteth them, you are resisting God's ordinance. And we do not want to do that. God's saints are different than resisting. They call their rulers gods. I'm not ashamed to call somebody God, just like I would hope that my wife and her thoughts is able to call me Lord. I've seen men smile and think that that's a pretty good verse, and I've mentioned this already, but are you willing to call President Barack Obama a God? He is a God. He has more authority than any single person out of seven billion on this planet. And I would understand and appreciate it if he wants to display that in the events regarding Syria. I'm praying for there to be a peaceful resolution of those differences between Congress and our executive office, but I'm going to leave that in the Lord's hands. I just want you to know that if our Congress backs him down and makes him change his mind, it's a shame before the whole nation. It's a shame to authority. 
but we will let our government do its thing. The powers that be, we'll, we'll watch them and we'll pray for them and we'll thank God for them and for all the benefits that we enjoy under their care. God never called you to check authority. God didn't call children to check the authority of parents. If you think that you have some sort of responsibility from heaven to be a check on our government, then you need to sit your children down as soon as you get home and tell them that you believe that those children are a check on your authority, that they should be able to tell you when and they should want to tell you, and you give them permission to tell you that whenever they don't like what you're doing, they're going to tell you that you're wrong, and they're not going to do it because there's no difference whatsoever except that government is higher over citizens than parents are over children. Because parents, and like I told you, don't have the threat of the death penalty at their disposal. Taking out children, the government can do it whenever it feels like it and put to death because they wield a sword. That sword is for the revenge of the God of heaven for disrespecting the need for civil authority. God didn't call you. Citizens are not the conscience of a nation. God's the conscience of a nation. And as soon as the conscience of President Obama or Ronald Reagan or Adolf Hitler or Fidel Castro is outside God's will for that office, God will make a change. God will change that man's conscience or God will change that man or God will change that government or God will arrange circumstances where that man will change. It's just he's in control of all those things. I I was hoping that in reading Isaiah chapter 10 last night you would see that wonderful description of the great king Sennacherib the most powerful monarch on earth at the time of the Assyrian Empire, and how he had ambitions, personal ambitions for greed and greatness and glory, and God was just using his ambition to be a a, a spanking weapon, a scourge upon the nation of Israel. He thinketh not so in his heart. There was no thought in Sennacherib's heart that he was doing the will of God, but he was doing the exact will of God, and the will of God was pain and trouble on the church of God the nation of Israel. There they were under Hezekiah inside the walls of Jerusalem and afraid to come out. The other cities had been taken already. There he was blaspheming the God of Israel. There he was threatening them with what he was going to do when he got inside the city. He was going to make them drink their own piss and eat their own dung. And he laid it on them. And he laid it on them in their language. And they begged him not to. He was a very powerful, dominating dictator that had come against the people of God and God used him to a point. And then if you read all the way through that chapter, as soon as he, as he was done using him, God punished the stout heart of the king of Assyria. Now wait a minute. How can God punish the stout heart of the king of Assyria, meaning punish him for his pride, when God was using his pride to punish his... Because he's God. Amen. And see, you don't see all those things taking place. Right. You know, we're getting the president that we deserve in this country. A previous president that most of you would have voted for said that, There is no difference between our God and Allah, the God of the Muslims. So, why are you surprised that we get a Muslim as our president? You say, well, he's not. Put your trust in the Lord. We're, We're getting what we deserve, and this country voted for him. And remember, when you live in a situation like this where we vote for a leader, and you're in the minority because you voted for someone else, as soon as the vote is tallied, you have to agree with the majority and be thankful for the president you have. Because that's the way it works. That's the way it works in this church, and that's the way it works in our country. 
Just because you voted for a different guy doesn't give you one ounce of authority, one ounce of right to speak against the president that has been duly elected by the means this country has used and the process that it uses to elect its officers. Oh, brethren, you don't have the ability or knowledge to even grasp what they have to do in political office. All you can see is a little tiny bit of information that they allow you to have. Look at Second Peter chapter 2 and let's remind ourselves of the language of the Word of God about those that despise government and speak evil of dignities. Those are two crimes. One is against government in general and one is against the officers or men that God puts in those offices in specific. Second Peter chapter 2, verses 10 through 12. But chiefly, 2 Peter 2.10, them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise government. Sodomy and despising government go hand in hand. In the lust of uncleanness and despise government. We don't want to be like that. One's corrupt, one corrupts things sexually, another corrupts things civilly. Presumptuous are they. This is the Word of God. This is not Jonathan Crosby, but I'm going to tell you, Jonathan Crosby is going to speak according to the Word of God, and these passages are plain and powerful. They're like a hammer and a fire against our rebellious spirit and thinking about government. They despise government in the first sentence of verse 10. Presumptuous are they. You are presuming to have your thoughts. You are presuming to despise. Self-willed. You are self-willed instead of submitting to the will of God. Who do you think you are? They are not afraid to speak evil of dignities. We should be afraid to speak evil of dignities because when we speak evil of dignities, we're speaking evil of God. We're speaking evil of God's ordinance. And when the dignity finds out that you spoke evil of Him, He should, and I'm looking forward to the day when He will, cut your head off. I wish we had authority like that in this country. I wish we had authority that if you spoke against the king, they would level your house to the ground and go to the nearest chicken farm and bring in a hundred tons of chicken droppings and put it where your house once stood because that's how Nebuchadnezzar ran his kingdom and Nebuchadnezzar was God's servant. And I love that kind of authority. That would shut up the press and the people that love to draw cartoons about our president, including the Westboro Baptist Church in Kansas. We are totally against them. And if any one of this government of our country ever hears this sermon, we want you to know that we are entirely against what they do. It is contrary to the New Testament gospel, the Lord Jesus Christ, and we will never do such a thing. We are thankful for you and we pray for you. Let's keep reading here. Presumptuous are they, self-willed. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignities. Brethren, let's not find ourselves in that verse at all. Verse 11, whereas, now there's going to be a comparison drawn. Whereas angels, which are greater in power and might. Angels are better than you, smarter than you, stronger than you, no more than you. Angels, greater in power and might, bring not railing accusations against them before the Lord. When the angels are in the presence of God, they do not bring a railing accusation against President Obama, Ronald Reagan, Fidel Castro, Mao Zedong, Joseph Stalin, or Adolf Hitler. That is an overwhelming verse of Scripture. Face it. Swallow it, love it, shine it, hold it up to the sun. It is beautiful. The angels do not bring railing accusation against human rulers that we would classify as bad or evil. Why? Because they are in a God-given, ordained position of authority. Look at that verse. Whereas, 
while these presumptuous men that are self-willed and speak evil of dignities, the angels will not do that and bring a railing accusation. Have you ever made fun of President Obama? Have you ever told a joke about President Obama? Have you brought a railing accusation? Railing is just to use use, um, disrespectful speech towards someone. And just to accuse them. Remember I showed you from Job 34 that Elihu taught, is it, fit to a, is it fit to say to a king, thou art wicked? Do you know the answer to that question? It's a question mark in your Bible. Do you know the answer? Yeah. Never right. do you say that. Never do you say to a king, thou art wicked. It is not your place to say that. It's God's place to say it. Neither will your children ever address you that way at the table. Neither will you address your, your boss that way. The Bible says that employees should not answer again. Talking back. You know, we used to be taught that in school. You know, I'm not that... Yes, I know I'm getting older. But when I was in school, we were taught not to talk back. I was taught that at home. I was taught that at school. You didn't talk back to the teachers. Well, you don't talk back to your bosses. And you don't talk back to government. And we don't bring railing accusations against them. But these... Verse 12 goes back to those wicked men of verse 10 that despise government and they're presumptuous and they're self-willed. They've got their ideas on how things should work and they're just going to go with their will. So we're back to them in verse 12. But these, but, means there's something said in contrast. These are different from the angels. The angels know how to be respectful to authority. But these, as natural brute beasts, made to be taken and destroyed. A hyena, kill it. Get rid of it. It's a brute beast. They speak evil of the things that they understand not and shall utterly perish in their own corruption. There's the damnation that's going to come upon people that do not respect authority properly. They understand not. They're like brute beasts. A brute beast does not understand the human way of living. It's a brute beast. And these kind of people do not understand what goes on in government. Do you understand the myriad of consequences for every decision that our president makes, for every decision that our Congress makes, for every judgment that our justices make. The effects are so far-reaching when they're at such a position of power with 315 million people in this country dependent and being affected by those decisions, and then 6.7 billion around the world that are affected by them. All the trade issues that, that come in play, the election issues that come in play, the consequences, the precedents that are set. On and on it goes. We don't have a clue what goes on. And we should submit. And this, these three verses here are quoted again in Jude chapter 1, verses 8 through 10. They're stated with just slightly differences there. The differences there, the one difference there that I want to share with you, you can look over to Jude to see it, is that Michael the archangel, I want you to, I want you to understand that angels appreciate authority. Verse 8, are those unclean individuals from 2 Peter 2. Likewise also these filthy dreamers, see sex perverts, defile the flesh, they're sodomites, they despise dominion. You You are siding with sodomites when you fight government, question government, speak evil of government, resist government. See, they, they, sodomites, reject God's order for the sexes. One man, one woman. Adam and Eve, leaving father and mother, cleaving to each other, make a marriage. They're overthrowing God's ordinance of marriage. You're overthrowing God's ordinance of civil authority. You're just like them. I'm just like them. 
I'm just reading you the word of God and explaining it to you, and it's obvious that you know that I'm explaining it as it is written. Likewise also, these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignities. Yet, Michael the archangel, this isn't any ordinary angel, this is Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke thee. Michael the archangel does not bring a railing accusation by calling the devil names or accusing him of anything wrong. You see, everything the devil does is wrong. But Michael the archangel can't tell him that. Do you know who's going to tell him that? Do you know who has told him that? Do you know that he already knows he's been told that? Do you know where he's going because he's already been told that? Do you know that he's already been sentenced? Do you know that the execution is just a few days away? The devil will be cast into hell. Because the lake of fire was prepared for the devil and his angels. But Michael the archangel. Why aren't aren't these verses preached by Carl McIntyre? But these speak evil of those things which they know not. See, it's it's a companion passage to 2 Peter 2. But what they know naturally as brute beasts, in those things they corrupt themselves. They corrupt themselves by their misunderstanding and misappreciation for civil authority. Isn't it, the angels should teach us something, shouldn't it? Do you know what else the Bible says about angels? The Bible says in Ecclesiastes chapter 5 that you should never make a vow and not pay it because you should never let an angel hear that you are disregarding the authority of an oath that you made. Ecclesiastes 5, 6. I don't have time to go show it to you right now. Do you know why a woman should have long hair? According to 1 Corinthians 11, if you read the Bible and you're going to submit to it, because of the angels. Why because of the angels? Because a woman is supposed to have a symbol of power and authority on her head, meaning that she is under authority. A woman is supposed to have long hair because of the angels, because the angels see short hair on a woman, and they know that that is a rebellious, spirited woman. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Why would the Apostle Paul, when addressing Timothy, and telling him that he should always be impartial in the execution of his office, he invoked the elect angels because of the authority that goes with angels. From these two passages that I have read to you, and now I've added to them Ecclesiastes 5 and verse 6, 1 Corinthians 11 and 1 Timothy chapter 5. We do resist government in about two situations. When God's laws are at stake or life. The only two reasons is when God's commandment, God has commanded us to do something and government tries to keep us from doing it, or God has prohibited something and government tries to command us to do it. It's All we have are examples of it. In Acts chapter 4 and verse 29, we can read what the apostles said to the Jewish leadership and the Jewish rulers when they were told not to preach the gospel. This is the only time. And this is exactly what I'll tell your children when they write me an email, call me on the telephone, or come and visit me and say, my dad's doing this, my mom's doing that, what do you say? I say, until your parents tell you to do something that God has said you can't, or your parents won't let you do something that God has told you to do, obey them. Period. Acts chapter 4 and verse 29. Verse 19, excuse me, Acts 4, 19. But Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye. The first time they said it nicely, sort of formed as a question, 
You Jewish rulers that are telling us not to preach, even though God's told us to preach, you make the judgment whether we ought to obey you or to obey God. They were nice here in 419. But then we come over to chapter 5 and verse 19 and verse 29. Yes, the typist got the, uh, get a little transposition here in the cross-references. I'll speak to them later. Acts 5.29, Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. Instead of leaving it up to their minds, because they may have been confused about the matter, maybe, maybe their authority had gone to their heads, the apostles just said plainly to them, We ought to obey God rather than men. So, here are some leaders that God had ordained that had told them you can't preach the gospel in Jesus' name. We don't want any more preaching in Jerusalem. Well, the first time on trial, if you think we ought to obey you more than God, you should make the judgment what we're going to do. And second, we ought to obey God rather than man. And I totally believe that. I totally believe that when I come to Daniel chapter 1 and find other examples in the Bible, though there isn't a single verse in the Bible telling me to ever do this, I find other examples like Daniel. The reason I keep making that distinction so that you will understand that these exceptions are so rare, you can just about forget them. You can wait until there's a Buddha in your front yard and the police have called you out, made you get down on your knees, and you have to kiss its belly. Until that happens, just keep doing what they're doing. Pray for them, pay them, and so forth. It's so simple. If we would just get over ourselves. Remember, we're self-willed by nature. Remember, we're presumptuous by nature. Let's just get over ourselves. In Daniel chapter 1, the king's master's program for those that were going to stand before him and give him counsel required him to eat meat that had been sanctified for the king's table. Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the king's meat. First of all, Israelites had rules that they couldn't eat certain animals. Daniel was, if, if that was the case, Daniel was not going to eat certain animals that Nebuchadnezzar put in front of him and expected him to eat. Second of all, that meat was likely offered in sacrifice to one of the gods of Babylon, and Daniel wasn't going to participate in that because he worshipped only one god. So Daniel purposed in his heart he wouldn't defile himself. Now, did that mean that he got his little 410 that was used for killing garden snakes? He got his 410 and stood at the door of his apartment, and when Nebuchadnezzar sent his troops to him, he said, you're going to have to peel this out of my cold, dead fingers. No. What did he do? Boss, could I, could I have a chat with you for a minute? I can't, I can't eat that meat. And my friends can't eat that meat. Can we cut a deal with you? Will you try us for 10 days? That we can just eat vegetable soup and bread for 10 days? Will you let us do that? And at the end of that period of time, go ahead and do whatever you've got to do. But will you try it? Notice, they're using the legal means they have. Come here, can we have a chat? And you know, the Lord took care of all that, didn't he? They were fairer and fatter than the others that were feasting on real food. Yes, real food. Then, in Daniel chapter 6, the edict comes down, can't pray to any other god but the king of the Persian Empire, Darius the Mede. What does Daniel do? He just goes and keeps right on praying the way he had. He can't really change that one. You say, you say, why was he so bold to open his windows and just keep praying the same place in the same direction because he was fulfilling Solomon's dedication to the temple? that when the temple was destroyed and they were prisoners in a foreign land, if they would face toward that temple, forget Mecca, it was Jerusalem, the temple of the living God, 
where Melchizedek was king and priest, if they would pray toward that, God would hear their prayer and deliver them from captivity. Did God hear that prayer? Yes, and he was willing to die for it. Did he stand with his 410 at the door when the king's soldiers came for him and said, I'm going to pray to any God I feel like. You step one step closer, I'm going to unload this 410 on you. Go ahead, throw me in. Just like the martyrs that have gone before us that said, you don't have to chain us. We'll stand there. Go ahead and light the wood. They're so much better than we are. I read about the midwives in Egypt in Exodus chapter 1, the Hebrew midwives. Their names are given, Pooh and Shifra. The king said, kill the boy babies. They didn't. They kept them alive. They lied to the king. They told the king those Hebrew women are just so fast by the time we get there, it's already born and to kill a baby in front of its mother is just too much. Do you understand how hard that would be? They lied to Pharaoh. And so the Lord built them houses because they were such good liars and they protected life. If you think I have an unbalanced position on this, I know the passages in the scriptures that you don't know, and I will bring them all together to one balanced position that when we are commanded to do something that God prohibits, we will break that law. We will resist authority. If we're prohibited from something that God has commanded us to do, we will resist authority and we will do it. But that doesn't mean we're going to take our 410s, go out in the street and have some march on Washington or take on a drone with our 410. We're going to sneak around. Because that's wisdom. There's the midwives sneaking around. How'd they sneak around? Pharaoh, God and king of Egypt. By the time we get there, they've already had them. And they're already in the bassinet and it's too hard for us to kill them. Those Hebrew women are very lively on the stools. And on and on, I have a whole page full of, I have 50 examples of the greatest liars in the Bible and how God blessed them for lying in particular cases when they needed to, to protect life. Think about the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Herod is, is betrayed, sort of, by the wise men who don't come back and tell him where the king of the Jews has been born. So Herod sends out the edict. And so Joseph got his 410 out and said, you're going to have to cross this threshold over my dead body. That's the Lord of glory back there. You think you're going to get in here? I'll die defending him. That's what an idiot. What a stupid idiot. Joseph didn't do anything like that. Do you know what Joseph did? He packed his family up and moved to Egypt right. until that Herod was dead. And listen, if you don't want your children to be drafted by some future draft to this country, move to Canada. If you get a draft notice in your mailbox, it's one day too late. You are going to turn your children over to the U.S. government or you'll be excluded from this church. That is so simple. But if you want to move to Canada ahead of time because you fear that a draft is coming and you want to avoid it, just like you could have moved out of Germany before World War II, but they didn't want to move out of Germany, that wonderful president they had pulled them out of one of the worst recessions and depressions in the economic history of the world and put them all to work. The Bible's full of examples like these to help us understand and to draw balance. Michael lied for David. She put a bolster in his bed and went and told her father, he's sick in bed. He wasn't sick in bed. He was running for his life. David sent Hushai back to overthrow the council of Ahithophel and to defeat Absalom. And the Bible's full of these examples. 
But you know, we don't go and confront a tank in the street and think that we're something special. We don't draw a line in the sand that's our own and say, well, I just can't do that. The government has a right to our children. Every government has a right to children. That's for the common good of the nation. Why doesn't anybody understand that? It's just a taxation. It's called conscription. Why in, this, why in the history of this church have we prayed so many times that God would preserve us from a draft? Because we don't want to give our children up. But the government has the right to take our children because the government must raise an army for the common defense of the people. And they can do it any way they want. But do you know what a blessed nation we have? You should want to go home and write the president of this country a letter and thank him that we have a voluntary army. The other country... Other countries of the world don't have it nearly this good. I want you to read 1 Samuel chapter 8 with me, where Samuel tells them what a king is going to do. And we are not talking about Germany, Cuba, Russia, China, or anywhere, but Israel. 1 Samuel chapter 8. This is what David's going to do to them. This is what Solomon's going to do, but Solomon's going to do more of it than anyone else had ever done of it. And that is, he took more from the people than anyone else to build his mighty work projects. 1 Samuel chapter 8. This is the passage that I referred to that I mentioned Stephen Eastland by name. In Homeland Security, he's really submissive. Right along with his pastor. Israel comes to Samuel in the first five verses and says, we want a king. Verse 6, but the thing displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed unto the Lord. And the Lord said unto Samuel, hearken unto the voice of the people and all that they say unto thee. For they have not rejected thee, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them. They didn't want God as their king. They wanted a king like the nations around them. According to all the works which they have done since the day that I brought them out of Egypt, even unto this day, wherewith they have forsaken me and served other gods, so do they also unto thee. Notice he's describing their presumptuous, self-willed approach to government. You know, there were people in Israel at that time that were very content under Samuel. And would have been content with Samuel. But the people came together and the majority spoke and they said, we want a king. And so God goes on and he speaks in verse 9 to Samuel. Now therefore hearken unto their voice, howbeit yet protest solemnly unto them and show them the manner of the king that shall reign over them. Do you know how delightful it is to have one man in one house at Ramoth of Gilead who's ruling the whole nation? How much do you have to pay in taxes to keep one man up? See, there is some discussion of forms of government. There's no bureaucracy when there's one man, he's a judge, appointed by God. And so God tells Samuel, tell them what it's going to be like to have a a real government with a king that you can have parades for and have him his face on your coinage. And so Samuel unloads. Samuel told all the words of the Lord unto the people that asked of him a king. And he said, this will be the manner of the king that shall reign over you. He will take your sons. That is an ordinary, acceptable, obvious, necessary part of government. Taxation is when they take your money. Conscription is when they take your children. It's just another tax. We call it the draft, but it's it's conscription. He will take your sons and appoint them for himself. 
for his chariots and to be his horsemen. And some shall run before his chariots. And he will appoint him captains over thousands and captains over fifties and will set them to ear his ground. They're going to take care of his fields and to reap his harvest and to make his instruments of war and instruments of his chariots. They're going to be in the, in the war factories in Detroit, Nipsilani. And he will take your daughters to be confectionaries and to be cooks and to be bakers. And he will take your fields and your vineyards and your olive yards, even the best of them, and give them to his servants. And he will take the tenth of your seed and of your vineyards and give to his officers and to his servants. And he will take your men servants and your maid servants and your goodliest young men and your asses and put them to his work. And I could go on and keep reading this. Because this is an ordinary, acceptable function of government. You say, boy, I would rather have stayed under Samuel. Agreed. God agreed. Samuel agreed. And some of Israel would have agreed, but they wanted a king. We'll resist when they contradict what our God has taught us to do because we serve the Lord Jesus Christ first. We pledge allegiance in baptism to the Lord Jesus Christ and we pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States second. And for those of you that got a little nervous when I gave a certain salute that a country in Europe used in 1930s and 1940s, I just want to remind you that that salute and to that nation was no worse than this one. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America that is committed to kill 1.5 million unborn children every year. There is no difference, except you have been corrupted by American propaganda to hate Germany. This nation has so many problems and has set itself against the word of God at their level. But you know, that's okay. They're going to deal with God. It's only when it comes right up close and personal and into our house where they try to make us do something that God has forbidden or they try to keep us from doing something God has commanded, then we will draw the line and we will resist, but we will resist passively as far as we possibly can by avoiding, misrepresenting, deceiving, running out the back door, hiding, moving to Canada, moving to Mexico, moving to Cuba, whatever we have to do, because that's what the Bible teaches. But we're going to obey our government. We're going to thank God for our government. And there's nothing even close to that happening to us. The fact that they want to have Planned Parenthood units all over this country killing children and the government supports it and takes our tax dollars and supports it, that is out of our hands. That is in the hands of Almighty God. And He will take care of this nation for doing that. He has not given us the right, the responsibility to get in our cars after this service and drive down to Lauren's Road and take a Planned Parenthood operation out of commission. But if I was in my house in China and my, my wife had just conceived a second child and I knew they were making the rounds in that city or that township, I would try to find relatives or someplace where I could go and keep my two children so that I wouldn't have to watch them take the second child that I had without government permission and take it out in the front yard and drown it in a mud puddle. I hate even having to deal with any of these exceptions because we shouldn't have to deal with them. But some of you seem to need to know about exceptions because you don't want to believe the general rule. The more we believe the general rule, the more merciful God's going to be to us and protect us from us ever having to use the exceptions. And we are thankful right now for the government that we have, and we are thankful for the laws that they have. And if they want to abort the babies of mothers in this nation that want to abort their babies, that's between them and God. We are not going to interfere with the law. We are not going to interfere with those women. We are going to love our children. We are going to raise our children. We're going to teach them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And we're going to trust our living God to protect unborn children. And every king shall answer to the king of kings 
and the Lord of Lords, but he doesn't have to answer to us. I love reading in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 where the Apostle Paul said, I want to get the words of this little part of his resume is this, in Damascus, the governor. Now I thought it said in 1 Peter chapter 2 that we were supposed to submit to the governor sent by the king to punish evildoers. In Damascus, the governor, Andreas the king, see kings send governors, kept the city of the Damascenes with a garrison, desirous to apprehend me. Well, does that mean you go down to city hall and turn yourself in? No, Paul had been called and committed and, and charged by the king of kings, the Lord Jesus Christ, to preach his gospel. And through a window in a basket was I let down by the wall and escaped his hands. Throughout the Bible, we have, we have some exceptions given to us that when we are forbidden to do what God's commanded, we'll resist. When we're commanded to do something that God's prohibited, we'll resist. But not until, and our government's not even close to that. If they want to take prayer to the public schools, so what? There's nothing taught that's true in the public schools anyway. But the fact that they're all taught some reading, writing, and arithmetic when it comes to the sciences like that, we're, we're all in favor of it. Go for it. We want an intelligent country. We want a country that's technically competent to be able to compete with other world markets. But you know, our, we're, we have so much freedom. Brethren, we're, we're so protected. Right. You know, we don't even have a draft in this country. And we, we're involved in every country on earth militarily. You'd think we'd have a draft by now, but we don't. I'm glad they pay them whatever they pay them, and I'm glad for the shiny little medals made in Hong Kong that they give them to make them feel good for being in the military so that they'll just keep doing it so that our boys won't have to do it and our girls won't have to do it. They have, they have right to our children. Hopefully by the ages of 18 or 20, you've already taught your children how to fear the Lord. And that wouldn't be a problem. And you know you can get into our military and they give you a big page with about 150 options on it. Would you like to work in the kitchen or would you like to be an infantryman? Well, I hope that you've taught your daughter by then. I think I'd like to work in the kitchen and be one of those cooks, bakers, or confectionaries that Samuel talked about in 1 Samuel chapter 8. There's, there's no sergeant in the world, nor colonels over sergeants, nor captains over colonels or lieutenant colonels or whoever, wherever, and whatever the ranks are, that want somebody in an infantry position that doesn't want to be there. It's too hazardous to everyone else. You say, well, what about John the Baptist? He railed against King Herod. No, he didn't rail against King Herod. He said, what you have done is wrong. He didn't call him any railing names. And you're not John the Baptist. Right. You say, what about Mordecai? He wouldn't bow in reverence, Haman. You're not a Jew, and you haven't run into an Amalekite recently. God had a perpetual vengeance against Amalek. And an Agagite, the best that we can tell from Scripture, would be a descendant of the last king of the Amalekites, Agag. And the Bible tells us in Esther where we read about Mordecai not bowing and doing reverence to Haman, it was because he was a Jew. God, because of the way Amalek had treated the Jews coming up out of Egypt, had a perpetual vengeance against them. Exodus chapter 18 is how it's worded to us. Exodus chapter 18, the Lord said unto Moses, that's Exodus 19, 
It's Exodus 17. The Lord said unto Moses, Write this for a memorial in a book, and rehearse it in the ears of Joshua. For I will utterly put out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven for what they did to Israel on their way out of Egypt to make their way to the land of Canaan. Verse 15, And Moses built an altar, this is Exodus 17, 15, and called the name of it Jehovah Nissi. For, he said, because the Lord hath sworn that the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. So a bunch of generations later, Mordecai is faced with this Amalekite that's been promoted by the king of the Persian Empire, and he won't bow to him and he won't give him reverence. And it wasn't because he was a German. And it wasn't because he was a Cuban. It was because he was an Amalekite. And Mordecai was a Jew. And if you read Esther chapter 3, you'll find out that it explains that. We use, and we are welcome to use, legal options or processes that our government gives us and it's not resisting authorities. But you better have a clear and obvious right to appeal to authority or you'll be sinning by evilly resisting authority. Joseph reminded Pharaoh. Do you remember when Joseph was in prison and he sent the butler back and said, would you put a bug in Pharaoh's ear that I've been down here for a long time now? See? There's an appeal by a wise man, just a little bug in his ear, that I've been overlooked down here for a couple of years. Esther begged to overturn the law by begging her husband, the king of Persia. Daniel made a deal against policy about his diet there in Daniel chapter 1. Paul resisted two beatings and a trial in Jerusalem legally. Remember, as soon as he sensed that a courtroom situation was turning against him and that the Jews were going to get him back then in Jerusalem to stand trial for his life, I appeal to Caesar. And as soon as he said, I appeal to Caesar, both Felix and Agrippa that were there wanted to release him, but they said, now we can't release him. Because he's appealed to Caesar. That's how authoritative it was to appeal to Caesar. Twice he was beaten. One time he preserved himself from the beating. The other time he took the beating by not telling them that he was a Roman because he used that to his advantage when he left the prison of Philippi after converting the jailer and his family. And they sent the sergeants and said, let those men go. And Paul said, wait a minute. You've beaten us uncondemned, stripped us naked, and thrown us into prison. You will come and beg us to leave this city. Now you say, well, that sounds a little arrogant. No, he was just using the law that was given to his disposal, and that was Roman law. He was a Roman citizen. They have beaten us uncondemned. They can come and beg us to leave. And so when they came and realized that the Apostle Paul was going to leave town, all of that was to set the stage for a little bit of protection for that church in Philippi. But that was an obvious... Listen, what happened? Did the sergeants go back... And when the sergeants told their bosses that this is what Paul has said, they sent other soldiers to cut Paul's head off? No. Because the Apostle Paul would only appeal to well-established, well-accepted law. He wasn't going to make something up because he read it in some organization that likes to foment rebellion. He didn't plead the Fifth Amendment and file a Fifth Amendment tax return, as some people have done. If you think that you're appealing to some constitutional right that you have, all you have to do is hope that it works. Because if it doesn't work, you're going to be excluded from this church because you are making something up that no one else believes. If you have a constitutional right for something, they are going to say, you're right, we're wrong. Here, we're going to refund the taxes that you've paid. 
See, whenever Paul said it, they would drop their whip and scourge because it was well accepted. We don't play games with government. By saying, well, my interpretation of the Constitution is that you shouldn't be doing this. I've already given you the reason that constitutional arguments don't work because Jesus didn't let them work in Israel. If you want to avoid taxes, then do like Howard Jarvis did in 1978 in California and have a petition drive and get it on a, give it, get it on a ballot and have taxes rolled back. It worked. There's legal ways to do things in our country, but we don't file some ridiculous, insane, infantile tax return saying that we're not obligated to pay for whatever reason. God never charged you with interpreting the laws of this nation. Did you know that there happened to be a few judges from Washington, D.C. down to our own city that interpret law? You don't interpret law. God did not charge us to interpret law, and our country doesn't expect us to interpret law. They have a whole judiciary system in place to interpret law. A Christian in America can call their senator. They can write their senator or congressman. They can petition government for grievances, private or public. Go for it. You may vote, donate to a campaign. I know a man in Christ that does. Or work for the campaign of a person trying to replace an existing ruler. Because that's one of the privileges of our process. You may opt out of public education by various means. You may avoid vaccinations by conscience in this country. Because this country gives you so many liberties and allows you to do so many things. If they want to require you to have a vaccination, it is perfectly inside their rights to do so. Where's your Bible verse that says they can't vaccinate you? Hello? But you know what? If you don't like vaccinations, then don't get vaccinated. And for those of you listening to me, until you ask me, you don't even know where I stand on these things. You can opt out of public education because our government allows that. However, be warned. That anything that is lawful does not mean that it is expedient or that you should be brought under the power of it. The Apostle Paul said, all things are lawful for me. It is lawful for you to do these things against government. But is that, is that an expedient thing to do for your life, for your use of time, and for your future reputation where you stand on trial for the gospel in a criminal court of this nation? So you've got to answer all those questions. That's the wisdom of God's word. And, I, and all things are lawful unto me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Once you get yourself into a legal battle with the government, they have more money and more judges and more expertise than you do, you're going to be in trouble. Do you want to be bound up that way, even though it's lawful for you to do it? And so this is the wisdom of God's Word. If it's not going to get you in trouble and you don't see any consequences to it, and you want to write your senator and appeal to, you want to get Obamacare reversed, go for it. But just remember, all things are lawful, but that doesn't make them necessarily wise for you. Because our rulers allow things does not justify doing them any more than our loose divorce laws in this country justify divorce. We have to measure it by what God says. Our nation allows you to make fun of the president. He allow, our nation allows you to draw cartoons ridiculing the president under this country's profane corruption of the freedom of speech. But does that mean a Christian should ever consider such a thing? Never. Even though it's lawful, we know that God's law tells us not to do that, though our nation's law would allow us to do that. So we want to think through these things before we do anything. Could we join a march in Washington to repeal a law against Christians? 
With prudence, yes. But we'd want to be very careful about it. If there was a specific law and there were legislators on our side, if there weren't legislators on our side, then any march in Washington is totally fruitless and a pure act of rebellion. But if there were legislators on our side and they needed to have a little show of force that there were voters in this country that were on their side, we could do that. Could we sign a legitimate petition to impeach the president because Congress is seeking to impeach him? I know a man in Christ. An excellent way to judge in all these issues is to compare other authority spheres and the liberties granted there. For instance, if your children were to write you a child, one child or all the children were to write you a letter, very respectfully, we love you, Daddy. We love living in your home. We're so thankful to God that he gave you to us as our father. But would you mind considering that there's three bedrooms in our house and you've you and mom have one bedroom and there's one bedroom that's your office and the, the five of us kids are in the other third bedroom. If we could have that second bedroom that's been turned into an office, we love you, Daddy, and you can decide whatever you want to and we're going to be thankful no matter what you decide. But do you think we, us five kids could split two bedrooms instead of one? Any dad in here that's going to get irritated with a letter like that? I'll run and hug the kids and say, I'm sorry. I'll put the computer in my bathroom or wherever I need to put it, rather than in your bedroom, kids. Just, please just think through. And so if we deal, if we deal with the authorities that are, that are over us civilly, the way that we understand that we could be approached, it just helps us to understand it very quickly as to what we can and should do. Can a wife write her husband a letter respectfully, identifying a sin in his life? Yes. Has it been taught in this church? More than once. What's the title of the sermon? When your husband's a fool. Should she do it very respectfully? Should she tell him at the dinner table to his face in front of the children? Never. If your boss has an open door policy at work, you have the liberty to discreetly redress grievances with him. Some bosses don't. You don't. It depends on the powers that be. You can talk about government in general if you're, not, if you're not resisting it, disrespectful to it, or accusing it. Just discussing history requires us to talk about governments and, some, and rank them in various ways, about their legitimacy or about their righteousness and the way that they executed their offices. But we don't do it to run down anyone. We don't do it to resist authority. We can read about it even in God's Word. We can read that the national debt that this country has makes our nation like a tail. When God had intended for his nations to be creditors, not debtors. And we can talk about those things in general, but we don't make fun of a government that makes choices to run deficits for this country. We don't make fun of that government. Listen, I'm going to tell you something. I'm 56 years old, and you could make a lot of money in this country over, the light, over my lifetime of 56 years, even while that government was running enormous deficits. It doesn't make sense to me economically how merciful God has been to this country that we continue to run such large deficits, and yet our country is not, does not have a debt problem equal to many other nations on earth. What is resisting then? What does God dislike? It's when we resent civil rule and bark against government control or laws. It's when we curse the king, jest about rulers, or accuse them with railing accusations. It's to charge them with accusations. It's to speak evil of rulers to others. It's to joke about them or to answer again to them when they talk to us. 
to read, help, or endorse those trying to change government, which is sedition. To evade taxes by any method not readily approved by the IRS. Do you know that our government has a tax code where they intend for tax avoidance? They intend for every citizen and every business to avoid as much tax as possible because that's how they direct public policy. So they want everybody to have a home. So they let mortgage interest be deductible on your tax return for your primary residence. They want you to avoid taxes as much as possible. It's part of the doctrine of taxation in this country. It's called tax avoidance, not tax evasion. We're thankful for a government like that. You know, if they say that homeschooling is not allowed like in Germany, then we're not going to homeschool. We're going to homeschool as long as we possibly can. We're going to appeal to them in every way that we can. We'll use all the means that we have. But God hasn't said anywhere that you have to homeschool your children. The same thing that I mentioned about vaccinations. You know, guns. Americans love to have guns. We're red-blooded Americans in this church. You know, Americans like to have guns. You go to a gun show in Greenville or a gun show in any other village, town, or hamlet or city of this country, and you see that everybody in America loves to have guns. Well, someday they may take away our guns. Where in the Bible does it say that we all have to have a gun? You say, well, how would I stay safe? Are Are you still depending on that 410? I thought I had talked enough about that 410 of yours that you'd get over that by now. The Lord's going to keep us safe. If you need three deadbolts on your door, then get three deadbolts. If you're afraid because you're living out in the country and they can set drones on you more easily, then move into a subdivision and get five deadbolts. There's all kinds of things you can do. Move to Canada if you think it's safer. Move to Arizona. But you've got to have a church. And you know, we're right here. We trust the Lord to take care of us. If anybody thinks I like preaching on this subject, I only like preaching on it because it's God's Word. But I hate having to undo so much false thinking and so much rebellious spirits in all of us that want to question and say, they're never going to get that from me. Well, show me in a Bible verse. And remember, one won't do it. I need the testimony of Scripture. I can't have anything of private interpretation that gives you the right for certain things like that against civil government. You know, thank, Let's thank the Lord. Do you know how we can keep homeschooling as an option in America? By thanking God for the government we have, thanking our rulers for the kindness that they've shown to us, and praying for God to preserve our liberties. When we do it, when we fight government, we resist, we're resisting the ordinance of God. This is an ordinance of God. God has ordained civil government. Nations can't work together and people can't live together and prosper without there being civil government. You know, we worry as a church about making sure that the ordinance of baptism is done correctly and the ordinance of communion is done correctly. But this is an ordinance of Almighty God, and that's why it's repeated here in Romans chapter 13. And if we resist, there are severe consequences to pay. And this is the Word of God. God's damnation doesn't have to mean hell. God's damnation can be this, as it's described in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 28 through 32. And many are sick, weak, and many sleep. Many of the Corinthians were weak, many of the Corinthians were sick, and many of the Corinthians were prematurely dead because they abused the ordinance of the Lord's Supper. This is an ordinance of God, and the verse tells us, just like it does in 1 Corinthians 11, that if we resist this ordinance of God, will you bring upon yourselves damnation? You know, this warning isn't alone in the Bible. If If you read and heard 2 Peter and Jude with me, 
Then you saw that they are brute beasts made to be taken and destroyed. God has given kings the power of taking your life. And if you don't want to submit to government, eventually they will take your life. And God may take it sooner than that because you are rebelling against his appointed authority. The Bible warns of supernatural and natural judgment for violating other authority. Has it ever been preached in this church that if a child rolls his eyes at its parents, the Bible says that God's going to send an eagle and a raven to eat those eyeballs out of such a mocking face from a child to a parent? That's the word of God. Is it a capital crime to disrespect parents? Does the Bible say, Cursed is he that setteth light by his father or his mother? To speak lightly of a father or mother. We don't want to speak lightly of our father in Washington. You know, you'll call George Washington the father of our nation. We have a father of our nation right now. And I don't have evidence that he's a Mason. George Washington was. And we should show him honor. You know, in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 25, the Apostle Paul warns that if you don't want to submit to your master the way that the Bible teaches, then there's going to be judgment. Here's how it sounds. But he that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he hath done, and there is no respect of persons. God doesn't care about you when it comes to your boss at work. If you disrespect him, you're going to be judged in your life. This is how authority is upheld by the God of heaven who instituted authority for our happiness, our prosperity. If we would all submit and make it work together smoothly. There's two damning, destructive sources in Romans chapter 13 and verse 2. First of all, it's God who will destroy those that revolt against his ordinance. And then there's the king himself who doesn't bear the sword in vain, but he's the servant of God to revenge all disobedience. And I want to add, and I've said it before, whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. If you resist authority, those under you will resist authority as well because they're learning from you. They're seeing the example. And God said, whatsoever you sow, that is what you'll reap. Why did Rehoboam like polygamy? Why did did Rehoboam have... Why did Rehoboam have 70 wives? Because of his father Solomon. Why did Solomon have a thousand? Because of his father David. What silver man soweth, that shall he also reap. The Bible tells us that God loves to judge in kind. One of the special judgments of God, the Lord is known by the judgment which he executeth, because he loves to judge in the way that we have set out to judge others. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against the soul, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. Let us look totally different than Westboro Baptist Church in Kansas. Let us look totally different than what they want to caricaturize us as, as Bible-believing, conservative Christians in this country. Let us shut their mouths by being submissive to the public good of this nation and obeying the rulers that are over us. And the Bible says, Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme, or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him, for the punishment of evildoers, and for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God, that with well-doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free, and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. 
Honor all men. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the king. May the Lord bless us to honor him and to do the will of God by submitting to civil government, the offices of it, the men of it, and the men at this point in time, the powers that be, by doing it faithfully out of conscience toward him as free men, the servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.